we will uh, we'll turn our attention then to the Word of God, and I would like to take our scripture reading this morning out of the 17th verse of the 29th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 17. And uh, the, the second song that we sung this morning was Jesus is Coming Soon. Now, that is a song uh, of impending judgment. That, that song is really a warning for anybody who does not know the Lord that He is coming soon uh, and that we don't know when He's coming. And so we better get ourselves prepared for Him uh, now while we have time and opportunity instead of putting it off because uh, if we put it off, uh, it's going to be way too late when He shows up and we find ourselves lost and undone. Uh, we'll say the same things that they said uh, uh, back in the days in Israel when they, uh, when they, uh, when the, where the verse of Scripture says that the harvest is past and the summer is ended, and we're still not saved, and uh, and and they will find themselves standing on the left hand of the Lord. I actually wanted to use uh, there was a there was a, a bumper. Well, the, the 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 Sunday school lesson that we had this morning. Um, Brother Vanderpool had put a, a note in there where it was referencing the le- the eleventh hour, and it said most of the people waiting to get right with God. And I'm going to paraphrase it, so this is not exactly what it says. So go and look it up. But it said something to the effect of most of the people waiting to get right with God at the eleventh hour will die at ten thirty, and so <laughs> they'll they'll die before they'll die. They're 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 trying to do it on their time schedule. And what you need to understand today is that if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you've never been saved, now is the time. Today is the day. Uh, and that's ti- that is God's timetable for salvation. Uh, for anybody who's lost, now is the appropriate time. Today is the appropriate day to put it off and wait for it uh, and tell yourself that you'll do it another day. Well, take it from a master procrastinator for the majority of my life. Uh, if you do that, the odds are very favorable that you're not going to do it at all. And uh, and what will end up happening is that you will hear the trumpet, uh, and if you hear the trumpet, it's too late. Uh, he's already coming back. Time has stopped. And so we want to look at our verse today and and think about that. Because uh, our, our, the 29th chapter of of Isaiah is dealing with the prophecy concerning Jerusalem. And it's a prophecy of judgment, and not of just judgment, but of restoration. And I want to, I want to choose this 17th verse for a reason, because that's kind of the, the verse where everything changes gears. I'd like to use for a title this morning, The Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. I'd like that to be our title this morning. The 17th verse says this in the 29th chapter of Isaiah, It is not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and a fruitful field shall be be esteemed as a forest. And let me read that again. It is not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, 
and the fruitful field shall be esteemed a forest. Now, the Lebanon obviously having reference to a Gentile nation, and uh, and that it's not just going to be changed, but it's going to be changed into something, uh, a, a nation that bears fruit, and, and not just a little fruit, it's going to be a forest of fruit, is what he says that Lebanon's going to be. Now, if we if we go back and we look at this chapter, uh, this chapter starts out with a woe. And, and if you know anything, when you study the Bible, whenever a woe is proclaimed, you can be assured that judgment is coming after. Now, in this verse of Scripture, uh, in the first verse of the 29th chapter, it says, Woe to Ariel. To Ariel, the city where David dwelt, add ye year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Now let's stop right here and let's make sure that we are all on the same page and we know exactly what we're talking about and exactly who this is a, uh, who this prophecy is written about and who it's written to. And so we see here that, uh, that Isaiah pins it to Ariel. Now that is a word that is used, that is a symbolical word for Jerusalem. Now you can look over in the 45th chapter, or the 43rd chapter, I'm sorry, of the book of Ezekiel, and you can find where that same word, R-E-L, is used in a different in a different way, and in that instance, it's used to reference the altar there uh, and the altar hearth uh, there in the temple. Uh, that's not the, the that's not the manner in which it, uh, Isaiah is using the word. Isaiah is using the word as to, to be indicative of Jerusalem. Uh, and here's how we know because the uh, the the word uh, Riel is broken up. It's two different words. Uh, Re that's where they get the phrase lion because that word means the lion of God. The lion of God. Uh, so Re means lion. El means God, right? Beth El. Uh, El means God, uh, and uh, and so that's where you get that's where you get the Lion of God in this word. Now Ari uh, is really interesting in that if you take it all the way back uh, to its primary root word, it is a verb which means to pluck, to pluck. Ara. And so he's talking to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was considered, it was called the Lion of Judah. Now, I don't know, uh, I don't believe there's anything particularly impressive about the city in itself that would make it stand out above any of the other cities of Judah, such as Hebron, uh, which was actually in, uh, which was actually north of there, I believe. But, um, but I don't believe there's anything that made it stand out any any more so than the fact that it they had these two things that identified it as being separate and above all the other cities in Judah. Number one is it was always referred to as the city of David, and we can go back into the book of uh, of Second Sol or Second Samuel, I believe. In chapter 5, and you can read about how David besieged the city uh, when it was inhabited by the Jebusites, and he seized the city, uh, and, he, and, he, and he's the one who called it the city of David. 
And so it had that phrase uh, or that, that moniker attached to it that, uh, that Jerusalem was the city of David. Now, of course, we also know, and, and this, is, this will be the case in, in the Isaiah's time, that that was the place where David had desired to build God a house. Now, this is what really, really exalted Jerusalem above all the other cities in Judah. David had desired to build God a house. And God told David that he had shed too much blood in his life and that he could not build him a house, but that he would permit his son Solomon to build him a house. And David got all the materials ready and he built, and Solomon oversaw the construction of the temple uh, that exists in the, the time of Isaiah. And, uh, and here you have Isaiah. Uh, preaching uh, or, or, or going to actually uh, give a prophecy about this, uh, uh, this place here. Uh, and so uh, then the, after the temple was completed, we know that God took up habitation in the temple there in Jerusalem. And that that was the place where God had placed his name. And that's what really exalted Jerusalem above every other city was it was the place where that was the habitation of God. Now, we know where he, where he lived. He lived there on the mercy seat between the cherubim um, and uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. And so we see here, uh, now that we've got all that uh, in, our, in our minds uh, about where the, the, the phrase, the Lion of God, comes, we're going to tie into it the Lion of Judah here in just a little while. Notice what he says here. He says, Woe to Ariel, to Ariel. That also can be said this way, Oh, Ariel, Ariel. Or you could say it this way, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? Thou that stonest the prophets. Uh, that's, 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 what, that's what Jesus said to them uh, when he was looking over the city. And he said, How I would have gathered you like a hen doth gather her chicks. You know what? That word that is derived as pluck also means gather. Now, it's talking about in terms of grapes, but either way, uh, it's, it's gather. And it's the root word of the word that is, uh, later would, would later become, become Ari, which is lion. And so he says, uh, it says, The city where David dwelt, add ye year to year, uh, and kill, then, uh, oh, sorry, and, and let them kill sacrifices. Uh, add year to year. You just keep going on year after year. You keep doing the same things you've always done. Keep, keep, keep performing all those sacrificial rites. Keep doing those things. But understand this, those things aren't going to save you. They're not going to deliver you from the woe. The only thing that can do that is God, uh, and Jesus uh, is God. Uh, and so we see here, he says, Yet I will distress Ariel, uh, and uh, that word distress there really means straighten, uh, 
uh, and, and he's going to fix Ariel, but it's going to be a hard process for Ariel to get fixed. Uh, you may be here today, and, and you may not know the Lord, uh, and you may think that uh, that you know, the time is going to come where you're just going to you'll just make the mental decision. Well, I'm just going to accept the Lord. Well, that doesn't work because what has to happen first is the house uh, that uh, that is your being has to be brought down to its very foundation uh, before a new house can be constructed. And so he says here he's going to bring a distress on uh, Ariel. Uh, and he says, and there'll be heaviness and sorrow. Folks, it's not a good thing to go through that, is it? Uh, when you find out you're lost and you're separated from God. I remember I was talking to a neighbor of mine one time, and, uh, and I asked if she'd been saved, and, and, uh, and she said, well, I, she said, I've been baptized. I said, well, that's good. I said, have you ever had a point in time in your life where you had the realization that you were lost and separated from God, and that He was no longer watching over you, but instead you you stood as an enemy to him? And she said, I don't know who would teach such a thing as that. And I said, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> you have to have that knowledge before you can have the knowledge that you're a child of God. John Newton said, he saved a wretch like me. <laughs> he didn't say he saved a good guy like me. No, he said he saved a wretch like me. He said, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. Now, look what he says. Look what God says he's going to do. Through the mouth of Isaiah, he says, I will encamp against thee, or I will camp against thee round about. In other words, the very same tactics that David used to overcome the Jebusites, I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to put a fort, I'm going to build a fort against the city. I'm going to fortify. And here he says, he says, I'm going to lay siege against it with a mount, and I will raise forts against thee, that thou be brought down and, that, and, that, and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust and the multitude of the terrible ones that shall be as the chaff that passeth away yea it shall be at an instant suddenly you got to ask yourself a question here don't you what in the world what in the world did Jerusalem do to make God such an enemy? Now he's prophesying about a time, and, and I believe Jesus spoke of that time, and uh, and he spoke of it in uh, in the twenty fourth chapter of uh, I believe it's the twenty fourth chapter of the book of Matthew. Yeah, Matthew twenty four and one. Now that was the first temple. And we know it would be destroyed by fire. I'm going to get into why I believe he's actually prophesying about the destruction of the temple in Jesus' day. 24, 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 and 2 says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came, came, came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be one here, there shall not be one be left here, one stone upon another, that it shall not be thrown down. And uh, and he's he's predicting that he's prophesying the destruction of the temple there in Jerusalem in that day. Now here's where you can see uh, that maybe uh, not that maybe, but that he's actually prophesying about the army that would come from the Romans and not the army that would come from the Chaldeans, because the Chaldean army. I mean, it was largely homogenous, with the exception of, with the exception of maybe a few other tribes that he, they had conquered. The Roman army had people in it from every country that was known at the time. It was it was a Rome, pagan Rome was a melting pot, like America was. It had taken over the whole world, the whole known world. Uh, it had taken over the British Isles, and it had taken over all of Europe, and it had taken over Northern Africa and the Middle East, and and uh, and and it, and it was it was it was the dominant power of the day. Nobody dared when it goes to the military of ancient Rome. And in the seventh verse, it says, "In the multitude of nations that fight against Ariel." So it's not just one nation God's sending to fight against Ariel. It is a multitude of nations. You could say it's the whole world. People out of the whole world come to fight against it. Even all that fight against her and her munition and that her, and, and that her distress shall be as a dream of a night vision. Now what would happen? How could a place get so bad in God's sight, that God would send the whole world to destroy it. How could a place get so bad? I think if you really examine the condition of Israel in that day, uh, we could actually look and see a lot of similarities in the churches in the day that we live in. And in the day that before the Lord would come back, uh, in the, in, 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 and really maybe kind of the Laodicean type church, uh, uh, and, and really it goes further than that. There would be Sardin churches and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but, uh, There'd be churches that have died. There'd be churches that would be lazy. There'd be churches that just uh, thought that they could buy everything that they needed. Uh, and uh, and so that I look at the seven letters of Church of Asia as indicative of uh, of these were literal churches, uh, literal letters to literal churches. Um, but uh, these these churches exist today uh, all around the world. All around the world they exist. Verse 8, he says that the, the people that were there, uh, they would be like a hungry man that dreameth, but when he wakes, he would still be hungry. 
Uh, he'd still be, he said his soul is empty. He'd be like a thirsty man, uh, that dreams, uh, that, and in his dream, he, he, uh, he take, he drinks, um, but when he wakes up, uh, he's, he's still thirsty. Uh, they have no satisfaction. There's nothing, uh, that can, that can placate them. There's nothing that can make them happy or content in the world. Matt, folks, that sounds to me a lot like the world we live in today. It sounds a lot like the world we live in today. He says in the ninth verse, he says, Stay yourselves, for the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. I, I told you I was going to have sleep in there. Avery had her sleeping mask on. God poured out upon the people there of Israel a deep sleep. Now, folks, he had them taken. This can't be Babylon. Because when they went into Babylon, those that resisted the Chaldean army died. And those that went with the Chaldean army willingly was the remnant that was carried away. And that remnant was permitted to return, to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. We know that Herod, uh, as an act of love to war, or as, a, as an act to, to garner their uh, devotion, uh, he ornamented uh, the temple. Uh, he made it very ornate. And that was what they were seeing in the 24th chapter of Matthew. Uh, those giant stones that he would have had erected uh, and all the, all, the, all the grandeur that he would have added to the temple think about that temple it would have been very grand to look at and God rejected it he rejected it but he says he's poured out a deep sleep and hath closed your eyes now listen here close your eyes and that the prophets of your rulers and your seers uh, the eyes of them he has covered so there's no vision left in the country, isn't it? Well, what does the Bible say happens when there's no vision? The people perish. Folks, there's things going on in our world today that people have obviously been blinded because they haven't seen it happen. Crazy things. Things that if you would have told, uh, if somebody would have told you that that was going to happen, you would have said there's no way. But they're happening. They had no vision in their leadership. They had no vision in, in their ecclesiastical order. They had no vision amongst the people. And that gets really shown forth in this. Uh, in this, it says, "And the vision of all uh, is, bef uh, is and, and the vision of all is becoming to you as the words of a book that is sealed." In other words, what everything that's going to happen to you is sealed up, and it's written in this book. Here's the book. Just read it. 
So they take that book and they deliver it to one of their learned men. They deliver it to one of their scholars. And what does the scholar say upon having been approached about reading this book that is sealed? He says this, and this is one of their own learned men. He says, read this, and I pray thee. And the scholar looks back at him and he says to him, I cannot, I cannot read it. Because it's sealed. He takes the book uh, to somebody who's not learned. uh, And he says, here, read this book. I pray you, read this book. Uh, And unlike in the day uh, of uh, of Jeremiah where somebody would read the book uh, or eat that scroll, uh, there was nobody that would do it. Uh, He goes to the unlearned uh, and he says, here, read this book. Uh, And instead of uh, doing what he asked him to do, uh, he, uh, he stops and he questions him just like the learned one did, didn't he? He says, I'm not learned. Do you know that God cannot work beyond our own limitations because of our doubt and unbelief? You read about Jesus in Nazareth in his own country and the Bible tells us very plainly that when Jesus was in Nazareth uh, Nazareth, uh, that he could do no works there. Now he, he did do some works there obviously but, it, but what is it that limited him? It was unbelief wasn't it? The sin of unbelief. But I want to think about this. There was nobody to read the book. You know, that happened for about 400 years. There was nobody to read the book for about 400 years. And then all of a sudden, there's this wild, crazy-looking guy out in the wilderness of Judea, and he starts preaching the way to God. He starts preparing the way for the Lord to have a people that was prepared for him, that, of course, being John the Baptist. But they got 400 years of nothing because nobody was fit to open the seals of the book. Listen to what they said. Jesus says this, and I believe this is a warning for our day just as much as it was for the day in which it would come to pass. Uh, and Jesus gave this same, uh, this same uh, verse. Uh, he used it against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, listen to what he says. Isaiah pens and says, Wherefore the Lord said... For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me. But their but have removed their heart far from me. He's saying the worship that you employ. Go ahead, sacrifice all the animals you want. You go ahead. 
You keep doing it. Every day, every year, you keep that sacrifice going continually and it's not going to do anything for you. What you need is a heart change that Ezekiel prophesied about, that that Nicodemus inquired uh, from Jesus Christ about, uh, and that he discovered, I believe, because he's one that went and lobbied for the body of Christ. Uh, And here you had the people saying, uh, we love to talk about the Lord. Uh, We love uh, to honor Him with our lips, uh, but our lives don't honor the Lord, and they certainly don't glorify the Lord because He's not in our heart. He's in our head. And if you're here today and you think some head knowledge is going to save you, you're going to be very sorely disappointed when you stand before the Lord at the day of judgment because that's what's happening here for Jerusalem. They're standing at the prefaces of judgment for them in the face of God for their formalized, heart cold worship of God. Folks, we need to have passionate worship for God, for for the adoration of Jesus Christ. We need that in our churches. We need it in our services. If we want the Holy Spirit of God to come down and anoint our services, we've got to have we've got to have passionate worship. God's not going to God is not going to honor anything less than that. And so if you're here to, so for every one of us that's saved today, I, I want you to take this thought home with you. Am I really passionate about worshiping the Lord? And I don't mean all the emotional mumbo-jumbo. I mean, do I sit down and study the Word of God? Do I take what it teaches and apply it to my life? The young people today, they want to know. They want to, they get taught in school that they have to do some great grandiose thing when they get out in the world. And they look at a pastor and they say, after I get saved and after I get baptized in the church, uh, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Because I've been programmed that I'm fit to do some great stuff after that uh, and that I'm worthy of doing that when God says, no, you're not. Not yet. You're just a babe. You're just a babe. Now I want to I want to I want to go to the to the back half of this, and I'm going to try to get through it fairly quickly. He asks the question. He says, "It is not a very it, it is not yet a very little while, and Lebanon will be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed a forest." That would have been enough to anybody in Jerusalem because that means that Gentiles are going to be included he says in that day I want you to listen to what he says in that day the deaf hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek shall also increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. I want to go over here for just a moment in time, uh, over into the book of Matthew. Is that where I wanted to go? 
It's in the book of Matthew. I know it's in the book of Matthew. Let me find my right place here, though. In the book of Matthew, and I want to read a question that was asked. Uh, and uh, and it was uh, uh, and uh, oh yeah, right here in the eleventh chapter of Matthew. Uh, it's John the Baptist who sends some men to ask a question of Jesus Christ. And John's in prison. And the question was this. Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? You know what Jesus' answer was? He said, Go and show John again the things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Uh, you know what he did, what they're saying, what Isaiah's saying here is saying, after that, uh, you're gonna have the gospel in the world, uh, and it's gonna be preached to the blind, and, and it's gonna be preached to, uh, to, uh, let me find my place here. Uh, it'll be preached to the deaf. Uh, the deaf will hear. The blind will see. The meek will increase in their joy. And not only that, but they'll inherit the earth, is what he says in the great in uh, in the uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it says, "And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ." The Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. Uh, they have been consumed and devoured by a lion. Listen to what he says at the bottom of this. He says, But when he seeth his children, referring to Jacob, referring to Abraham, when he seeth his children, and we need to remember something here. The children of Abraham are not children by lineage, by, by, by genealogy, but by faith. Because by faith, Abraham sought for a city whose builder and maker was God. God told him to go, and Abraham, that's all he needed, wasn't it? He said, go, and Abraham said, okay, I'll go. And he went. 23rd verse, God, God, the Lord says this. He says, But when he seeth his children, referring to Jacob, and the work of mine hands. I got two little girls. And sometimes I forget that I didn't fashion them. God did. Deborah's holding a little one right now that's just new to us, isn't he? God fashioned him. But there's a, there's a difference, isn't there? We have to remember this. The children of God are children by faith, not by birth. And as much as I love my little children, and as much as we see a little baby laying there, that's not a child of God. Not yet. We all know that. That's been saved, don't we? They gotta know 
God to be a child of God. We're going to touch on that and we're going to close with that. In the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. Now, listen to this. And, the, and I want to use this verse, I'm going to use this, and I'm going to jump over to one more place, and we're going to close. It says, They also that erred in the Spirit shall come to understand. Here's what you've got to, under, here's what you've got to realize. In order to be saved, you can't know about God. You've got to know God. And that verse right there, uh, what that's saying is you've got to come to an understanding of God. You've got to come to know God. The word come actually can be translated as know. It actually means to know. You've got to come to know God and that He is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why is that? Because without faith it's impossible to please him. As much as I love my little girl, Avery, she's still got to go through a process to be able to please God, doesn't she? She may be pleasing to daddy and pleasing to mama, but she's got to be pleasing to God if she's going to be saved. Thank God he already saved Lily. I thank him for that every day. But do you know what? That's not enough. We stop there far too often, don't we? If you just get saved, you'll be fine. No, we're created unto good works. He finishes it up and he says, And they that murmured shall learn doctrine. A lot of our young people in our churches today have left because the church hasn't, has not explicitly told them what's expected after you become a child of God. When you get saved, you're just like Jackson. Now, your, your learning curve may be shorter depending on your age, but you're just like Jackson. You're a babe in Christ. It'd be folly for us to expect Jackson to get up here and go out and mow the grass <laughs> this afternoon. He's got to do some growing, doesn't he? As a Christian, and Lily's the youngest one here, so I'm going to tell her this, and I tell her this at home all the time too, so I'm not telling tales out of school. As a Christian... You better sit down and read your Bible, and you better know it, because it's going to help you. Number one, it's going to help you to be pleased, more pleasing to God, but it's going to help you in your walk with the Lord. Learn the doctrine. Now, I said this, and I want to close with this. I said that they had been delivered a book that was sealed, and no man could open it. We read of an instance in the book of Revelation where the Apostle John is taken up and he's given this vision 
of a book that's sealed with seven seals that no man can open. And there's nobody that's worthy to loose the book thereof. You know, that's why they couldn't open the book there in Israel that day that was sealed with one seal is because there was nobody worthy to open the book. There was nobody that could dispense this gospel message down to man that he might be saved. But thank God there's one that's counted worthy of it, isn't there? There's one. And John says this. He says, And I wept much because there was no man found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. Uh, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Ariel. That was one of the names of the chiefs in Israel when they came out of Babylon uh, to reestablish the city was Ariel. And I say here, uh, when they say Ariel, uh, Ariel is the one uh, that has come to loose the seals of the book that the gospel may be preached, that lost, that the lost may be saved, that the deaf may hear, that the blind may see, that the lame may walk, uh, that the poor uh, would pray Praise the Holy One of Israel. That's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Praise the Holy One of Israel. He says this. He says this. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. Don't worry that it's the city of David. Worry about the one that David called Lord. Uh, and that's who you go to. And he, and he hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. He didn't loose one. He, just, he loosened them all, didn't he? He loosened them all. He is the redeeming conqueror, isn't he? He is the one that we look to, uh, having been slain for our sins, yet risen in victory and forever seated at the right hand of God. That's who we worship, isn't it? Amen? I thought I'd get a little more hearty amen than that. That's who we worship. The lion. The lion of Judah. That's my message. If you've got a song, Brother Williams.